This is a podcast from the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the first week of January 2023, and I've been thinking a lot about what's in store for us this year. Last year had lots of ups and downs. It was a year when the pandemic became a distant memory and many of us began traveling again with a vengeance. But it was also a year that geopolitics took a turn for the worse, with Russia invading Ukraine and with increased talk and discussion about sharpening tensions between China and the US. But the defining feature of 2022, for the markets at least, was the relentless tightening of monetary policy by major central banks to address the surge in inflation around the world, including here in Singapore. This was, of course, very negative for investors. It really left them with nowhere to hide, as the whole spectrum of financial assets, stocks, bonds, even cryptocurrencies took a beating in 2022. In this podcast, I will offer some personal views on the outlook for the global economy and stocks in 2023. I will explain why the markets are likely to be very volatile, at least in the first few months of the year. I'll talk about the big US tech stocks, which seemed impervious to the pandemic in 2020 and 2021, but have come down to earth in 2022. And I'll make some observations about the local market here in Singapore and suggest where the potential opportunities and risks could be for investors, especially with the banks and the REITs. Let me start with a couple of basic observations. At the end of the last trading day of 2022, the S&P 500 index closed more than 19% below where it started the year. As I said a moment ago, what was weighing down the US market were the big tech stocks. If you look at Apple or Amazon or Alphabet, which owns Google or Facebook or Netflix or even Microsoft, they all fell by more than the S&P 500 last year. The Nasdaq 100 index, which is a more concentrated tech index, also fell much more than the S&P 500. It ended 2022 down about 33%. Why did the big tech stocks perform so poorly last year? One reason is because their underlying operational performance was not that great. In fact, many of these big companies announced headline-grabbing layoffs last year. And I'll come back to this point later. The other big factor in their poor performance was that many tech stocks had garnered very high market valuations in the preceding years when monetary policy was very loose. When 2022 started, the US federal funds rate was actually on the floor at 0 to 0.25%. When the year ended, the federal funds rate had been pushed all the way up to the 425 to 4.5% range. In fact, given how much interest rates rose in 2022, I'm surprised that stocks were not hammered down even more than they were. There seemed to be the sense last year that the tightening of monetary policy would be short-lived, and that as soon as there were signs of an economic slowdown or market weakness, the central banks would immediately back off. So many analysts and investors were trying to look through or look past the monetary tightening to an eventual easing cycle. For instance, on December 13, 
the day before the US FOMC announced its last interest rate hike for 2022, the S&P 500 actually closed above the 4,000 level at 4,019.65 to be precise, which was only 15.7% below where it began the year. The reason was that there had been a very strong rally over the preceding weeks on the back of optimism that US inflation was easing and that the Fed would slow the pace of its tightening. This was not entirely unfounded. Inflation did appear to be flattening and softening in September and October and November. In fact, the US Consumer Price Index for November charted the smallest 12-month increase since December 2021. Also, the FOMC's last interest rate hike for 2022, which took place in December, was just 50 basis points, after four consecutive hikes of 75 basis points since June. But I fear the worst is yet to come for stocks. The way I see it, major central banks are still very much focused on fighting inflation, rather than worrying about the economy or the markets. The December FOMC meeting participants were unanimous in their view that interest rates will end this year higher than they were at the end of 2022. Their median projections put the midpoint of the federal funds rate by the end of 2023 at 5.125%. Even the two lowest projections put the midpoint at 4.875% versus the current midpoint of 4.375%. Two participants put the midpoint as high as 5.625%. The key factor behind their hawkishness appears to be the surprising strength of the U.S. labor market. Despite the steep rise in interest rates, unemployment in the U.S. has stayed in a narrow range of 35 to 3.7% since March, which is close to pre-pandemic levels. Why is the U.S. labor market so tight despite increasingly restrictive monetary policy? Nobody is quite sure. It might be that many people who lost their jobs during the pandemic have decided to retire permanently. It might have something to do with immigration trends. It might also partly be because a lot of people died during the pandemic. The point is that labor force participation has not rebounded as much as expected since the end of the pandemic. And consequently, the US economy might have to slow more than expected for longer than expected in order to bring inflation back down to 2%. At the December meeting, Fed officials projected real economic growth in the US of just 0.5% for 2023. This is down from their September projection of 1.2%. Fed officials also saw U.S. unemployment hitting 4.6% in 2023, nearly a full percentage point higher than the current 3.7%. In September, they were projecting an unemployment rate of 4.4% for 2023. So it seems likely to me that the cumulative impact of all the recent monetary policy tightening on economic growth and corporate earnings will be felt much more keenly in the months ahead. On top of that, even if interest rates rise by smaller and smaller increments in 2023, they are now at a level where they could become a more potent force in drawing money out of the market. The very low interest rates we've had since the global financial crisis drew a lot of money into risk assets like stocks. Many investors may well not have been entirely comfortable with the volatility of the stock market, but accepted it because the return on cash or bonds was too low. With banks now offering interest rates rivaling even CPF interest rates, many people are going to be inclined to rethink their financial arrangements. One way to think about what this means for stocks is to compare the US market's 
earnings yield, or the inverse of the price earnings ratio, to bond yields. This is a way of judging stock valuations that's sometimes called the Fed model. The mark-to-market column said back in November that the S&P 500's earnings yield was about one percentage point higher than the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond yield, down from some 2.2% in 2019. So the relative attractiveness of stocks has been waning as interest rates have risen. If interest rates and bond yields continue rising in the months ahead, stocks are likely, in my view, to face selling pressure as they become relatively less and less attractive to simply holding cash or bonds. So how should investors position themselves in the markets and which stocks will do well in 2023? I'm going to talk about that next. The Business Times' future of finance is focused on the digital economy. Citibank Singapore believes it has a head start, having embarked on the digital journey long before the pandemic sparked a massive mindset and behavioral shift. You know, we're not actually launching our apps and improving the service and adding new features to entice customers to come. We're actually recognizing that they're already there and giving them what they're demanding. The Business Times Future of Finance podcast, episode 5 out on Thursday, January 12th. We'll be speaking with Brendan Carney, CEO, Citibank Singapore. We'll explore the wealth management space and how it is also benefiting from technology. We look forward to sharing more information with you about digitalization and transformation in the financial sector on the Business Times Future of Finance. Check in on January 12th for the latest episode. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. Earlier in this podcast, I said many big tech companies have not performed all that well over the past year as the pandemic waned. In fact, many of them have been laying off staff to shore up their profitability. This deterioration in performance didn't come out of the blue. It was a consequence of very rapid expansion by some of these companies during the pandemic when they experienced very strong demand. In the e-commerce space, for instance, Amazon did very well as consumers suddenly began shopping online a lot more as they were being discouraged from going outdoors. The surge in demand was so strong, it prompted Amazon to accelerate its investment in warehouses and hiring workers in 2020 and 2021. But Amazon has been cutting staff and shutting down certain business units since last year. Just before this podcast recording, Amazon was reportedly preparing to make further staff cuts, which will bring its total number of layoffs since last year to 18,000 people. Similarly, Shopify, a company that helps entrepreneurs set up online stores, accelerated its expansion during the pandemic, only to realize in 2022 that it had overexpanded. In a note to his employees in July last year, as the company shed 10% of its workforce, Shopify's CEO explained the mistake he'd made in a memo that said the following, We bet that the channel mix, the share of dollars that travel through e-commerce rather than physical retail, would permanently leap ahead by 5 or even 10 years. We couldn't know for sure at the time, but we knew that if there was a chance that this was true, we would have to expand the company to match. He went on to say, it's now clear that bet didn't pay off. What we see now is the mix reverting to roughly where pre-COVID data would have suggested it should be at this point. Still growing steadily, but it wasn't a meaningful five-year leap ahead. 
In a sense, the big US tech companies are now coping with the kind of overly optimistic investment that tends to pervade an economy ahead of a recession. The only reason we're not in a recession yet is because there is now also a very strong recovery unfolding in segments of the global economy that was stricken by the pandemic in 2020 and 2021. These fast recovering sectors would include air travel and hotels, and of course, physical retailing and restaurants. But there is another reason that investors are less enthusiastic about the big tech companies, besides their weaker financial and operational performance. In a recent column, I said the growth prospects of these companies now seem less exciting. Over the past decade, the likes of Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, and Netflix grew fast by disrupting the retailing, telecoms, and media industries. These days, many of these companies don't seem all that different from traditional companies. For instance, Apple kicked off the smartphone revolution in 2007 with its iPhone, but the latest iterations of this product seem less and less revolutionary. At Netflix, the big story is no longer its fast subscriber growth, but its experiment with advertisements, its crackdown on password sharing, and the competition it faces from companies like Disney. Meanwhile, Facebook also saw its user growth stall last year and it is now spending billions of dollars on a baffling quest to become a metaverse company. Moreover, the big US tech companies are themselves being disrupted to some extent by new players. For example, TikTok, owned by China's ByteDance, seems to be posing a challenge to companies like Alphabet, which owns Google, as well as Meta Platforms, which is the new name Facebook has chosen for itself. It's entirely possible that some of the big US tech stocks will eventually be overtaken by new players. This is, in a sense, the natural order of the tech field. Back in 2020, the Mark to Market column cited an academic study done in 2016 that showed public listed companies have become more disruptive and innovative over time, but are also facing increasing risk of being disrupted themselves. Specifically, the study examined all the companies that listed in the US from 1960 to 2009, and it found that companies that had listed before 1970 had a 92% chance of surviving the next five years, whereas those that listed from 2000 to 2009 had only a 63% chance of surviving the next five years, even after controlling for the dot-com bust and the global financial crisis. The study noted that pre-1970 companies tended to be heavily invested in physical infrastructure, such as factories and inventories, but later cohorts have increasingly built their businesses on intangible assets, such as databases, proprietary algorithms, and expert workers. While the newer companies are much more nimble, they're also under more pressure to keep innovating in order to remain competitive and relevant. The point I'm making here is that it isn't enough for tech leaders like Amazon or Meta or Netflix to take measures to shore up their immediate profitability. In order to win back investors, they also need to demonstrate their continued capacity to innovate and grow fast. So when hunting for beaten down technology stocks that might recover, it's a good idea to focus on the ones that are still showing they're able to disrupt the status quo and change the world. Even beyond the tech sector, in segments of the market that are riding the post-pandemic recovery, investors should tread carefully in 2023. With a tight labor market in the US stoking inflationary pressures, the Fed is likely to keep pushing interest rates higher and trying to slow economic growth. 
In my view, there are probably going to be better opportunities to get into stocks later in 2023. Here in Singapore, a lot of the same employment trends are playing out. The Ministry of Manpower said in its labour market report for the third quarter of 2022 that retrenchments have trended higher because of an ongoing restructuring in the information and communications sector. But these retrenchments are below pre-pandemic levels. And in fact, Singapore's labour market has tightened considerably since the pandemic, even though the economy is not yet firing on all cylinders. Headline unemployment for October 2022 came in at 2%, down from as high as 3.6% in October 2020. Singapore's stock market, on the other hand, has performed quite differently from the US. The Straits Times Index ended 2022 more than 4% higher than where it started the year. The reason for that relatively good performance was the absence of big technology stocks with excessively high valuations. The bulk of the STI really consists of old economy stocks that have delivered less than exciting performance over the past decade. But my attitude to the Singapore market isn't really that different to the US market. With tightening monetary policy around the world and a likely slowdown in economic growth, I doubt the STI is going to perform very well in the first few months of 2023. Keep in mind that nearly half of the STI consists of the three local banks, DBS, OCBC, and UOB. These banks have been beneficiaries of rising interest rates, which tends to widen their net interest margins. But as economic activity and corporate profitability softens in response to rising interest rates, the banks could see their performance weaken in the quarters ahead. So I would tread carefully with these bellwether stocks. On the other hand, rising interest rates have generally been negative for the locally listed REITs, especially the very richly valued industrial and logistics REITs, which were viewed as being proxies for the rise of e-commerce. Tightening monetary policy and slowing economic growth is likely to be a strong headwind for REITs in general in the months ahead. But REITs backed by strong sponsors that own high-quality retail and hospitality properties could hold up better as they continue riding the post-pandemic recovery. Among them would be names like Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust, Capital Land Ascot Trust, and Maple Tree Pan-Asia Commercial Trust. But even these REITs could find raising funds for acquisitions a challenge until inflation comes down in a meaningful way and central banks around the world actually begin loosening monetary policy. And that could take a while. So all things considered, investors should not be in a hurry to get into the market in 2023. I'm senior correspondent Ben Paul, and that's it for this episode of Mark to Market. That was a podcast from the Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcast, or via the Google Voice Assistant Amazon-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3 you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.